hear me now? Hey, in case you missed that, I had it on earlier back in the hallway. My bad. So uh, I'm glad everybody's here. Um, about 10 minutes ago, I thought there was only two of us, and so all of a sudden there's a whole bunch. Everybody kind of snuck in like ninjas. Um, it's like vacation Sunday. You can see everybody's kind of gone, and uh, I'm filling in. I'm Luke, and um, Pastor Joey's on vacation, and his wife took some time together, which is very good. And for the last three weeks, we've been talking about creation, mainly against creation, against evolution. Um, and it's, I think, and I hope for you too, this is very interesting stuff. I really enjoy, uh, I really enjoy these topics, the subjects. I really enjoy all this different stuff. When I was about 22, 23 years old, somewhere in there, I heard my first time someone talking about creation. And it was different than what I had ever heard before. Um, I was taught a specific view on creation. It did match up biblically, and it was uh, a good view. But a lot of stuff that he talked about for the first time in my life sparked some interest that, man, maybe things are different. I'd never thought about the dinosaurs, and I'd never thought about uh, the fossil records, and I'd never thought about any of those things. And I thought, man, I wonder if the Bible and science could add up could be the same. Because in school, essentially I was taught to be educated and intelligent, you can't have the Bible. And it's hard for a Christian to sit there and think, I would like to be smart. But because of my religion, I have to be dumbed down. So my faith makes me unintelligent. And so that really is hard for a lot of people, especially once you get to the college level. I mean, many of you, if you went to college, Your professors would just argue you to death if you had a different view than creation. And that was because that is their religion. And in studying and reading a whole bunch of books and looking at different videos and trying to see different viewpoints and trying to understand all this stuff, it just kind of got into my mind like, wow, this this could just be the truth. The Bible is possibly just the truth. That science hasn't caught up with it yet. And I don't have to be unintelligent to be a Christian. I mean, I don't consider myself to be a brain surgeon or anything, but it's very hard when people attack you intellectually. And the reason why you're attacked intellectually is because they know that. If I call you dumb and stupid and belittle you, and especially with people in an educated field, like if you have some sort of master's degree or doctorate, bachelor's degree, and the people that you go to school with still treat you as a fool, well, it makes, you know, it takes you down a peg. Oh, I guess maybe I just won't talk about it. And that's not what we need. We need more people to stand up, be strong, and say, wait, I am a Christian. Science is real, and so is the Bible. And I could show you a few ways that it is. And we started this series talking about the Big Bang, and today's going to be kind of a recap of those things and a different viewpoint on some other things. So the recap of it is this. We started with the Big Bang theory that 18 to 20 billion years ago, a hot, dense chunk of matter sitting there shaking in the earth, boom, explodes, or in nothing, I should say, it exploded in nothing, became everything. So nothing became everything through an explosion that we don't know how it happened, and then four and a half billion years ago, all of a sudden, there became water on this rock that was part of the thing that exploded, and electricity started shocking it to death, and out of this soup came enzymes and building blocks for cells, and the cells started to regenerate and become living and breathing organisms and eventually become us. So, this is 
evolution in a nutshell. And we talked about many things. We talked about, last week we talked about the ark. And the ark's so exciting to me because the flood answers so many questions that scientists say, you can't believe that and be a scientist. And then the ark and the flood answer those things. One guy says, well, hold on a second, he says. I'm listening to him in an argument. You mean to tell me, because in the Bible it says he took two of every kind, doesn't it? Two of every kind. Doesn't mean two of every animal. So... A horse and a zebra, they kind of look alike. Same family, you know. You can breed them. You get crazy looking horses. Mules and donkeys can breed, or mule is a donkey and a horse mixed together. You can breed those. So maybe he didn't take two of every animal. So he said about 16,000 animals. So a scientist, evolutionary scientist says, that's so stupid. You expect me to believe that 4,000 years ago, you put two dogs on an ark, and in 4,000 years, we have all these species. The Great Dane, down to the Peonies. You expect me to believe that? And the answer was great, because the guy said, no, I expect you to believe that we came from a rock made of nothing and eventually turned to monkeys that came to man. That's way easier. It's not essentially the same, is it? See, we believe that the dogs became different species of dogs. No, we believe that dogs stayed to be dogs. And that, you know, size got different. If you're a farmer or know a farmer, you know those things can happen. How many people with cattle have cattle with horns? I know this is a big thing in the industry because I've helped or dealt with those types of things. You have a baby born with horns, and guess what you don't do? You don't breed it. Because its babies are going to have horns, and we don't want those. Scientifically, they call that adaptation. We believe in that. It's simple. We see those things. And that's easy to figure out. We can do just like this. If we had a frog with three legs and a frog with two legs. The frog with three legs, he swam in circles a lot. Made him slow and fish ate him a lot. And so when he bred and he had more frogs with three legs, they can lay thousands of eggs at a time, but we got all these three-legged frogs and they sit there doing circles and they get eat up a lot and the other two-legged frogs seem to jump away Eventually, there's just a bunch of two-legged frogs and all the three-legged frogs died. Was that evolution? No. That's not evolution. That's what they want to teach you. They call it macro and micro evolution. And they'll say, macro evolution is the jump, monkey to man. Micro is what I explained with the frogs, no. It's a misconstrued conception of what evolutionists want to teach us to make us think that we believe parts of evolution when in fact we believe no part of evolution. We can believe in adaptation. Cows, we can breed them out without the horns. The frogs that are too slow get heated up by the fish. That's a healthy view of creation. That doesn't make you unintelligent. We believe many things the same. What we differ on is the jump. We don't see the jump. We don't see the building blocks turning into the cells. Remember the four billion parts in one cell? And we believe that all was created from this electric water goop. It's a little bit of a struggle for a lot of us. And what does that cause for many people? I mean, we talked about a lot of different things with the mountains of Mount Everest being covered with seashells and how that gets there and the sedimentary rock on the top of Mount Everest when the geological column says that it has to be billions of years old for those small things, the closed clams that were 
immediately killed, the fossil giving birth. These are all found out of order. And it causes them problems. We talked about the trees growing up through the geologic column, the plane being in the ice. And all those things don't make that more smart. It makes us more right. That possibly there was a flood. Possibly God created everything. But definitely it is a belief. My biggest argument with this whole thing is not science. Because unfortunately, and people think that this is degrading towards God, but we can't prove his existence. And people are like, don't say that. They might hear that. We can't. I can't prove it. You know why? Because God is bigger than me. He created me. He is a being that I can't fully explain or understand. And so I give him my life, and I give him the authority. And I say, God, I don't get it all, but I'm going to accept it all. Now you'll do the exact same thing on the other side. The hot, dense matter, size of a dime or the size of a period on a page or however you read it in different descriptions. You came from that if you're on the other side. That created you 18 to 20 billion years ago on the soup rock with all the lightning. And eventually bacteria became the monkey that became you. This is evolution. And that's fine because God gives you the ability and the freedom to choose which one you want to do. And I'd like to offer the same choice today in talking about these things. The same choice of what you would like to decide, whether you are God created or an accident. Are you just an accident? That's tough for a lot of us to understand. There's a few things that I was looking at this week and they stuck with my, in my mind as I've read through different theories with different ideas. And one is, and many of you may have heard this, is the million monkeys theory. A million monkeys sitting at a million typewriters given an infinite amount of time will eventually produce the Shakespearean novels or Hamlet or Macbeth. And so what they say is, right, the feces-throwing, smelly little beast that you see at the zoo, they give him a typewriter and he clanks away at it. Not just one of them, a million of them. And they give him a time frame of infinity, like 18 to 20 billion years. And he types away, all of them just sitting in the room, going like crazy. And in a specific time, they snatch the pages up and they start pulling it apart and they get it and they, ha ha. The novel is written, the monkeys did it. This was used a lot to describe how evolution works. And I read that and I thought, man, that's crazy. There's different variations of it. Some of them say 100 monkeys at 100 computers given a million years. If you look it up, you can read all sorts of different things. I read literally 10 pages of just mathematical equations this week on how that could possibly work. The guy was getting into like 10 times 160 plus a bunch of zeros would be this, but he would not say can't happen. When given that equation to the supercomputer, the same one to beat the chess playing kid, when given that equation, it came up with this. The answer was it wouldn't type the first word on the first page of Macbeth if you gave a million monkeys a million computers. And that was taken out and said, don't listen to that. It takes away. It's mathematically impossible. So math says we can't do it. But that's how they look at it. And so what the answer is, is can't be done. Wouldn't even get the first words. There's lots of different variables in that. 
So a guy that I was reading about this week, he was a creationist, he said, what I did is take away a lot of the variables. And I didn't even think about it like this, but he said, what I took apart is no capitals, no spaces, could be completely run-ons, no punctuation, no indents for paragraphs, no headings or titles. Guess what he got? Exact same conclusion. We wouldn't get the first word. Another man, and you may have heard this explained, is the watchmaker through evolution. And his idea is this. I take all the pieces for a watch and I put them in a bag. And I give a man, symbolic, whatever, a man, an infinite amount of time to shake the bag. So he's just up here. Take all the little parts of a watch. Do you know what a watch looks like? There's a glass face, there's little cogs and wheels. There's a dial, there's a band. If you pull it apart, it all looks like really intense in there. They pull all those things out and put them all in the bag. And he says over billions of years, and they'll give you that time frame of that man shaking it, eventually you will pull out a watch. Now look at it not being so vast. Let's make it small. The parts of the watch. How would we get the parts of the watch? See, we're starting with that hot, dense mass again. How do we get the parts of the watch? Could it make brass? Could it smolt the metal and remove the impurities? Well, we can't start there because that wouldn't fit in the bag. What about the cogs, the little gears, the file to do it? Would each one sit on a second and be within time with the shaking of that bag? Would we actually believe that? Or if I gave it to a child, would they put it in a bag and look at it and shake it and go, this will never work. This won't make gears. What if we made it if it just had to be a year watch. Just one year, all I had to do is have one big clunk, clunk, but I had to stay in time. It would never happen. And we don't believe that as people. We wouldn't believe it as children, but somehow, as we become intelligent, we get suckered into thinking that these things are possibilities. Well, we could make the watch. I just got to give them the right parts. The parts are the you know, the different things that they say they had, the matter. They had the soup. They had the rock. They had the lightning. It was all there. Mystical. Crash. And you know what we end up? A bag full of junk parts. We end up with a really smelly room with a million monkeys. Because no one really believes that. They'd be eating the keys off the typewriter, throwing them at you. Monkeys are monkeys. They're nuts. And everyone knows that. But these are the things that we're talking about. A giraffe. Giraffes are exciting to me because they cause these evolutionary issues. And I was looking up a video a few weeks ago, and I thought it was for a creation type of video, where a guy was dissecting a giraffe. Everyone here, I assume, knows what a giraffe is. It's a really tall animal, really long neck. Got patterns all over it, tall legs, body in the middle. Giraffe. So this giraffe, he's dissecting it. And what he says is this, and he is an evolutionist, I find out midway through the video. He's taking a nerve that sticks in its throat. And this throat nerve gives him sound and helps him know how to communicate. And so he starts dissecting the giraffe. And he's working down that 10, 12-foot neck of the giraffe. And they're taking out the nerve. And the nerve runs all the way from the throat, all the way around the heart, and back up to the mind, up to the brain. And his, his conclusion is, this is not intelligent design. He says, look at this giraffe. Would you call this intelligent, he says? What is he doing there? 
He's immediately telling every young kid, every grown adult, every person listening, question what you've been told about what God says. He's not teaching a science. He's saying, look at this nerve. Why would a nerve that controls the throat to the brain run all the way down around the heart, make a loop, and come back up? This is not intellectual design. This is not science, he says. Wow, sold. So God, either this, this is an explanation, not mine, either God is a horrible designer and a liar, or maybe you've just been lied to as a Christian. Because I just proved it to you through a nerve. I thought, wow, this is a man so arrogant. The person, the man, the scientist who cannot create one cell in a lab of this draft. One sustainable piece of its DNA he cannot make in a Petri dish. He can't form its muscle to develop. He can't form the embryo for what it can survive in to become all the different things that we see the giraffe being. He can't do one part of it. But he's going to tell you why this part, that he doesn't know why it's there, is wrong. Well, I can't tell you why it's there either. But I didn't make the giraffe. So I can't explain everything. Neat thing why he would do that is because the giraffe causes all sorts of evolutionary problems. When we talked about last week, pressure. And there's a difference between blood pressure, which is in our body, which I understood that I said if a man was bending down or hung by his legs, there would be 300 pounds of pressure on his head. All of us know that. If you've ever been held up upside down by your uncle and shook like this, it feels like your eyes are about to pop out because all that pressure's coming down, right? So everybody knows here what that feels like. Now a giraffe, its blood pressure, ours would be 300. Its blood pressure doing that would be 1,000. What would happen to the giraffe when it bends its head down to get a drink of water? Its brain would explode. It would have an aneurysm, its eyes would bulge, and it would die. The reason why this man was dissecting the giraffe was to prove its falsehoods because there's so many creative designs in the giraffe. There's a series of valves in its head, in its neck, one-way valves like a check valve, many of us know what that is, that only allow the blood to flow one way. So when a giraffe goes down to get a drink, the blood stops going to his brain so hard and he lives. Also, if you notice, now he's pumping water up. He doesn't have a pump for that water, but he has been developed with muscles in his body that work in reverse to pull water up into his body. Evolutionary standpoint, it has a problem. At which point did the giraffe develop these things? If the world was covered in giraffes, the whole world, stacked top to bottom, and there's a big lake to drink out of, how many giraffes had to die before that developed in their neck? Well, all of them would because you can only make it three days without water. They live in hot regions, we know that. So more than likely, they would want to drink every day. They're just animals. They'll come up and they'll die. So the earth would be one stinky mess full of giraffes waiting for that evolutionary development. Hmm. Just an accident. So this is why this scientist attacked it. What does that leave us with? Evolution does a lot of things. It's very neat to look at. You can study it, and it's got tons of crazy ideas to me. But it's okay if you want to be intelligent with the rest of the world and say, this is how I feel. God gives you that, right? But what evolution does for us is leaves us empty, because there is no why. All the questions in the world can be answered through science, supposedly, except for why. And this is why evolutionists have such a hard time and attack us 
on a spiritual level. I have no reason to argue with an evolutionist. When, a, when somebody starts wanting to argue science with me, I immediately shut down and I just listen. Why is that? Is it because I just feel like I'm better than them? No, because I've learned a long time ago that if you're confident in what you believe and you know what you believe, all you need to do is listen. Take other people's ideas, write them down, take them to heart, study them, and either strengthen yours or change yours by what you know is right and true. So I don't need to argue with people. I don't need to convince them that they're wrong. I need to love them and share with them. And if they ask me, why do I think that? I'll share. This is why I think that. These, 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 these. That's all these different ideas. I believe that could be dealt with with the flood. And I believe that could be dealt with with creation. I don't need to argue with them and rant and rave. I mean, so many Christians that we see will get up and pound and yell and get in people's face and tell them how wrong they are. And that's usually because of like any fight, we're a little insecure. The guy who's screaming the loudest, puffed up the most, he's worried he's about to get handed to him. That's how we feel intellectually. So we'll get red-faced and angry, so I encourage us to be confident in what we believe. If any of these things have sparked ideas in your mind that you think, boy, I never thought about it like that, read about it, study it, grab the books, grab God's word, go through these things and say, man, I can be a creationist, a Christian, and intelligent. And I have proof why I know that. And then it makes me not so furious. It makes me not wonder. It makes me not question my belief structure. It makes me think, I can handle it. I got this. I know God's right. And that's where we need to be. Because this is what evolution does for us. It leaves us completely empty and void. And this is how. There is no absolute truth. You are your own God. I mean, we deal with evolution as a mutation type of event. And when we hear mutation, we think X-Men. I mean, if you're a nerd like me, you think X-Men. So X-Men is all these humans who got these supernatural abilities through evolutionary process. And that's how we believe, if you read the evolutionary standard, that's how they believe we got here, through these different mutations. If you study all the different mutations, guess what most of them do for you? Kill you. There's no real mutation that all of a sudden gave you supernatural strength. Most mutations make you die. If not, they leave you deformed or sick, unable to bear children, all these different things. There's never usually, you see a big write-up like, guess what, I got Wolverine claws. That did not happen, and it doesn't happen, but that's what we're waiting for in the evolutionary process, that next thing, so we can worship the next greater thing, our next greater self. Humans can become God again. See, I told you, I can walk through walls. There is no God, we're in the middle of a new transition. There's no transitional part either. Like we said that there's no transition from monkey to man. They can't find one, the missing links. There's still no transitional part from man to something greater. That's why the giants that we talked about last week, they aren't necessarily studied or you won't see them in the Smithsonian and the, the books in school today aren't going to go through them because that would be devolving. Greatness, power, strength, all those things would be devolving. So we don't want to talk about that. We'll leave them buried in the ground. And another thing you're going to see with the evolutionary process is this. It leaves us animalistic. Why does it leave us animalistic? Well, if I came from monkeys or whatever book you're reading wants to call it, what we came from, I came from those things, then I'm going to become so strong, so powerful. How do monkeys work? Have you ever seen a silverback gorilla? That's one of our cousins, evolutionary thing. They 
are intense. When you roll up in a herd of silverback or a herd of gorillas and the, the male, the dominant male is there, he will run up to you, pound his chest, and he's fixing to rock you. Why? Because that man's there to protect his herd. If we're animals, we're going to herd up. We call our herds today families. And so our families are together. The evolutionary process works well in a good, rich environment. Today you'll go to dinner after this, grab some lunch, right? You'll go with your herd. And you'll have your dominant males in your herd that are there to protect you. More than likely, you know, you got grandpa's tough, dad's tough, one of you, and you're going to do anything it takes to protect your herd. But you don't really have to worry about because you're going to go back to your air-conditioned house, swim in your fun pools, and have a good time. So we don't have to worry about those things. Let's be animalistic. Take away the food for today and the water. Well, all of a sudden, protecting your herd becomes something different, doesn't it? Do you think the animals will start acting different? What's the strong one going to do? Evolutionary process leaves me with this ideal. The strong survive, take what you need. And the people that believe that will act like animals when this environment fails because there's nothing bigger than themselves. Does God say if you're hungry, steal? Nope. He says if you're hungry, I'll provide. Oh, so I can't go steal from the neighbor if we run out of food? No. That's a bummer. I'm stronger than him. Our herds will move like that in the evolutionary process. And you're just a giant mistake that this earth full of lightning created. And it causes them many doubts. And so they have to attack you on an intellectual level to dumb you down. And do you think how smart you are will protect you when we all become animals again? No. It might help you build better fences and bigger walls. It might keep you witty and alive, but your intellect, as we get down to our base, not going to help. You're going to be dumbed down real quick, right? Find water, find food, shelter, all those things. I'm not trying to be doomsday. I'm just saying we look at it in the evolutionary process and how we are today, rich, healthy, wealthy. Everybody here is not worrying about food and starving to death. We have doctors that heal us. We have all these different medicines. We have no real problems, and so it works out great. When it doesn't, there'll be a difference, and I promise you that. In Romans 1, 19, this is where we're going to get into in the Bible. It says this, and we've read this several times, but I just think it's very true, and it's very understandable, and it points out exactly where we're at. They know the truth about God because he has made him it to be obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky through everything God made. They can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. They have no excuse for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they became utter fools. <clears throat> and instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worship idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever shameful things their hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. They worshiped and served the things God created instead of the creator himself, 
who is worthy of eternal praise, amen. That's us. That's our colleges. That's our TV. That's people in school. That is us. We'll worship these things. We'll worship ourselves. We'll make idols and we'll talk about foolish things because we're just so smart. And this is what this will do, leave us empty, destroy civilization. They would like to say that we've adapted these morals through all the different times of we've evolved. And I would like to say in my scenario where we take away the base things in life that we'll see those morals flee. That those things won't be part of an animalistic society. That you will need the strongest in the herd to protect yours. Because that's what evolution does. It takes us back to animals. It makes us nothing more than an unintelligent beast. It leaves us empty worshiping ourselves. And that's what it does because you're just a mistake. You're an accident the world created through a few lightning bolts in a bunch of million years. And people walk around this earth all day long, smart as can be, and empty inside because of their belief structure. Because this is not science, it is belief. Now why are we created? The answer why. Why is something that Christianity can show us. And it is impressive. I'm going to present the creation story today a little different than what maybe you thought about in the past. Maybe I'm just, it's new to me, so maybe it's not new to you. I don't know. But when I started reading it like this, it changed my outlook on why I'm here. It dawned on me when we were going through this, I've read this many times, and I never thought about it like this. Why? Why? This isn't going to be on the screen, but I'm going to read it. It's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 through 31. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image. Let us make or to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on the earth, the small animals that scurry along the ground. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said, Be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and govern it. Reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and all the animals that scurry along the ground. Then God said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant through the earth and all the fruit trees for your food. And I have given every green plant as food for all the wild animals, the birds in the sky, the small animals that scurry along the ground, everything that has life. And that, and that is what happened. Then God looked all, all over the, he had made, and he saw that it was very good. And evening passed, and the morning came, making the sixth day. The creation of man on the sixth day. <clears throat> Let's look at it a little different. What we read is God, us not understanding him, Put some dirt together, breathes breath of life into it, Adam stands up. Adam names all the animals, he goes through all the stuff, and then God says, oh, he looks sad, let's give him a buddy, makes Eve, now you have Adam and Eve. And then we're left in the Garden of Eden, which God made for us, right? Gives them the garden, and there they go. This doesn't really answer why, does it? Well, he says, well, be fruitful and multiply. Oh, okay, take care of the garden. Yep, I can handle that. Gives us jobs, gives us relationship. We covered that in the first week. He gave us all these different things. He designed marriage and all that, but why? Why would God do that? 
This is what I'd like you to think about it in a different light. Mom and dad, or husband and wife. And for many of you, if you're working on having kids in here, I mean, you know what I'm talking about. If you have kids, you're going to know what I'm talking about. If you have grandkids, you'll know what I'm talking about. But here we go. Let's have mom and dad, and we're sitting there on the couch one night, and we think, well, we should have kids. Okay, you know, that's mainly what guys are thinking about anyways, just in a different way. And so, okay, we're going to have kids, and we're going to have children. Oh, cool, yeah. So mom's pregnant. We're all excited, right? Yes. Mom's pregnant, we're going to have this baby. What do we do for the baby? Oh, man, I know when I was getting ready to have a baby, what's the baby got to have? Nursery, right? Got to have a room. Got to have a crib. Got to have toys. Got to have all those things. We're so excited. He's going to be just like me. She's going to be just like me. Oh, she's going to be so pretty. He's going to be so great. I can't wait to teach them this. I can't wait to be there for them to do that. I can't wait to see them hit their first ball. I can't wait to be there for their first prom. I can't wait to see those things. I can't wait to walk her down the aisle. Right? Yes. Parents. So we got all this cool stuff as parents. We just can't wait to instill in our children when they're there that first time you hold them. Man, changes your whole outlook. Your world is different. You pick them up, you hold them high, and you think, man, I got to be something different. I got to be better. This has to be, the, this is the best thing I've ever had. Your kid. And you have, some of you here, have just, you know exactly what I'm saying. And if you're a kid in this room, that's how your parents hopefully looked at you. And for many of you, that's how they look at you every day. So excited. Can't wait to see you when they get home. Can't wait to be there to see those awesome achievements in your life. And they just wait. Look at the creation story like that. Let's not look at it as a scientific or as old people or as book smart. Let's look at it like humans. And perhaps those desires and how we feel were instilled in us by the same God that created us. Did we create emotion or did God? Were we given those feelings or do we make those feelings? I feel like the creation story goes like a little bit more like this. Let's make them a world. Let's put tons of fun toys in it. Let's give them the most beautiful garden. Let's, do a, let's have, have friends. Let's hang out with them and walk in the cool of the garden with them. Let's be right there. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? I can't wait to hold him. I can't wait to see him grow up. I can't seem to wait to see what he does with what I've given him. Boy, I'm going to make the sun and the moon so he can see. I'll make birds so he can look and be it's so happy that the birds are in the sky. I'm going to give him animals to chase and play with. I'm going to do all those things because I'm so excited to have a kid. Because that's why you're here. Why the Bible answers is right there. You have a super intense, happy father who's saying, I'm going to build everything just for you. That is why. You are either a mistake or a beloved child of a holy God that only wanted you because he wanted to hang out with you. Just like having a kid. Because I just wanted to have a kid. Who instilled those ideas in me? 
I bet you it came from my dad, God. And that's why we're here. You're not a mistake. You're a beloved child of a holy creator that woke up and said, man, I can't wait to have a kid. I can't wait to change the world. I'll see what he does. It's gonna be awesome. He's got a wife, we have kids, I'm gonna be a granddad. That's why God created us. A little different story than just an electrified goop. Doesn't leave you feeling quite as empty that knowing that you're important and loved. Maybe it gives you a little purpose, gives you a job to do, makes you feel like you should do the same with your own kids and grandkids. Maybe it gives you morals and ideals. Maybe it changes the way we think. We're not just monkeys. We're beloved children of God. What happens? Genesis 3 happened. And we all know that Eve, Adam, makes a mistake. Sin comes into the world, and holy God can't have a relationship with his kids anymore. Brokenhearted. Imagine this as a parent. Your kid chooses everything but you. For some of you here, you may have had to go through that. For some of you here, you have a very distant relationship with a child, and it's heartbreaking. And this is where God was left. He walked in the garden, and they're hiding from him. And he says, hey, guys, where are you? Super psyched to see what you're doing today. Oh, we're messed up. We didn't do what you said. Oh, man, punishment. I remember the first time I had to spank my son. And if you disagree with that, fine. But first time you got spanking, and it was uh, horrible. Just absolutely horrible. I'm not always this boohoo and crybaby you see before you, but I struggle with anger and things like that. And I remember he was being bad, and I just said, man, I said to him, hey, you got to stop. He ain't going to stop, right? He's hardcore. He's going for it. I said, if you do it again, dad, what's he got to be consistent? We got a parent consistent, right? Okay, I can do this. Hey, if you do it again, you're getting a spanking. Oh, he looks at me, does it right again. You ain't telling me what to do, buddy. Right after it. So he gets a spanking. Dad being, dad, I need to be dad, right? I'm supposed to, I'm dad. I tell him, why did you get a spanking? We go through all the stuff. Oh, I got it because I did this. Do you know dad still loves you? Yes, okay. All right, then we're going to go in the back room. You can go play. Dad just goes in the back and cries like a baby for 10 minutes. It's the worst. No one likes spanking their kids. No one likes their kids to be in trouble. But we know what's good for them, and so we have to give them discipline, whatever you decide that to be. Timeouts, losing toys, and all these different things. And guess what God had to do? Put us in a timeout, take away our toys. Out the garden we went. Adam and Eve sitting on the outside, chair of a fire protecting the inside. No more going in because there's still a tree in there that you can't eat. If you do, you'll live forever. So God kicks them out of the garden. Like many of you have heard or seen or know of a black sheep child that's gotten kicked out of the home and the parents are just broken because we can't let them continue to do that in this home. Oh, do you think God hated them? Oh, he probably cried for hours wanting those children to do their best and to be their best. We're just kids messed up. 
And four chapters later, all the kids hate him but one. Want him disowned. Hate everything he stands for. Is nothing but violent. His focus is on nothing but evil every day. Hates their dad. Wow. Think of your kids actually meaning, not the 13-year-old spoiled kid going, I hate you, but the actual, I'm done with you, I hate you. This the heartache and the heartbreak and the pressure and the pounding and the feelings that that would cause. And so he decides I'm going to have to do away with them because the more they create, the more they'll destroy. And we're not God, so we don't have that ability, but God makes that decision as a rightful judge. And he saves one family. That family comes into the earth and he starts multiplying all over again. All of us are from Noah, all of us are from Adam. And then he goes through and he says, how can I get this relationship back with my child just like any good dad would do? I will do anything to get back with you as my child. He tries religion. He says, make sacrifices, take those animals and the sweet savor and the smells as you sacrifice and I'll forgive your sins and you'll have atonement and you and I will be one again and you can walk with me and talk with me again and we can be together and we mess it all up. We won't do it right. And so he sits there thinking, how can I get back to this relationship with my kids? How can I be one with them again? How can I walk with them again? How can I be part of them, their lives again? How can I see them every day and talk to them every day? And how can I be a part of their life? I know. I'll send my son, a man. He'll go down as a baby and he'll live with them. Christmas, right? We all know the birth of Jesus. This is a father trying to regain our relationship back to his creation. The Bible over and over again calls us the children of God. But this vast gap between us called sin holds us away from the relationship with him. And so the Bible states over and over again that when Jesus died on the cross with his hands spread out and he says, it's over, it's finished, he dies three days later, is resurrected, and he does all that to regain that relationship. He says, I'll take all the garbage on me. How many dads do you see that would stand up and say, blame me, don't you come after my kid. Don't touch him. Leave him alone. I'll take the heat. This is what God did for us. And I know a lot of times we have to let our kids fail and make mistakes and all those things. And that helps us to grow. And God says it right there. If you want to be a fool, I'll have to let you be. But he still stands right there begging, please come back. I've done everything I can so my creation can be one with me. The Bible says uh, in Genesis, but we're going to go through all that. In Romans 8, 15 through 17, I mess up all the time with my verses, so sorry, John. In Romans 8, 15 through 17, it talks about us being heirs with God. And it talks about that relationship getting back. It talks about us becoming the children of God again. And when he does that, that was that blood of Jesus 
the cross of Calvary so we can get back to the garden where we walk with God. And so today, we're left with a choice. We can either decide the why is, is you're just a mistake. That you're nothing but a bunch of animals and will never be more. Or that you are a holy child of God, heirs to the throne in heaven through the blood of Christ that was spread through the mistakes of you've made taken on him and you give him full authority again and we no longer be like fools to think ourselves to become wise but we submit to a holy God and we say you know what I need you in my life the empty hole that's been left through these ideas is gone I, I can't handle it I don't want to be a failure I don't want to wander but I want to be a Christian that's what it takes for many of us, for me, this illustration is way healthier than just thinking God just made us to make us. He didn't make us to make us. Make us because he wanted us. He wants you. Hallelujah. You're important. You. you are amazing. God made you. It's either that or mistake. Let's pray. Dear Lord, I just thank you for all that you've done. I thank you for the blessings that you've given us in our life. Lord, I pray if any person here today doesn't know you to be their savior or doesn't know you to be their creator, that you would just work on their heart and work on their mind, Lord. Just change us. Help us to worship you and only you. Help us to put you first in all that we do. Lord, I just pray that you would uh, give us the strength to do what's right. Lord, help us to teach our children, help us to teach each other, help us to love one another. Lord, thank you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.